Well, our hearts are full. Um, what a great week of VBS that the Lord gave to us this week. Um, I actually had the privilege of speaking the last night of VBS, and I told the children just this silly story about how when I went to children's camp, I got scared when they told a scary story at night, and I ran off into the forest. And and uh, I kind of regret telling that story because I don't think the children remembered anything else after that story. But uh, one of the children came up to me afterwards and said to me very seriously, Pastor Dan, why did you run to the forest? Don't you know God loves us? God is in control. You don't need to be afraid. And, um, you know, you just learn. You think you're teaching them, but they're teaching you. So it's uh, it was just a real joy. Real, we just thank God for that time. Thank God for uh, um, Art and all the uh, BBS staff. And just thank you for ministering to our church in this way and to the children. We also want to do welcome back uh, Pastor Joe and the rest of the Czech team. You were dearly missed. Uh, these last three weeks uh, when you were gone, and we just rejoice and look forward to next week's uh, report of the Czech Republic team's ministry. Um, Again, you do not want to miss next week. We are looking forward with eager hearts to having the whole Smith family with us, Uh, Peter, Sonia, Joshua, Matthew, Catherine, and Daniel, and they will all be uh, with us. And next week is a milestone in their ministry. What we're going to be doing as a church next week is celebrating uh, really, if you put it all together, it's 18 years of missionary service overseas. They spent five years in the Philippines, and they spent 13 years in the Czech Republic. Our church has been partnering with them for the last eight years, and we, um, as you know, they're going to be um, transitioning to the ministry in Michigan, pastoring a church there, and so this is a significant milestone for them and their ministry, and we I just want to celebrate the faithfulness of God in 18 years of faithful missionary service, the grace of God in their lives and how he has uh, sustained them and upheld them for so many years, and the joy of our own partnership with uh, Peter and Sonia and their family and being privileged to be able to be a part of their ministry and to have our own lives impacted so greatly by their lives and their ministry. So uh, please come with eager hearts next week. We're going to be having the Czech team give their full report. We're going to be having testimonies by Czech believers, as Pastor Joe said. We may even learn some Czech songs together, so it's going to be a great time of celebration. Please um, come with eager hearts for next week's uh, celebration. Well, this morning, I'd like to, to ask you to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 19. Our passage this morning is going to be Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15. And uh, in light of our VBS ministry this week, I want to bring to you a message uh, this morning entitled, The Gospel and Children. The Gospel and Children. I'd like to take you to this passage because it so clearly displays the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ for children. So let's read this passage together, Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 to 15. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. You can see from this passage, it's a very short passage. It's a very simple passage. And yet, it is a passage that is pregnant with meaning. It is a passage that is filled with instruction is a passage that helps us to understand the heart and the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and it contains a portrait of Jesus Christ that is truly beautiful, a portrait of Jesus Christ that is cherished by Christians all around the world, and it is this simple picture of Jesus blessing the little children. It is a passage that is so important. It's been recorded three times in the Gospel records. It's found here in Matthew 19. It's also found in Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 18. And speaking of the Gospel records, J.C. Ryle said this, It is well to be acquainted with all the doctrines and principles of Christianity, but it is better to be acquainted with Christ himself. Surely there is not a word, nor a deed, nor a day, nor a step, nor a thought in the record of Christ's life which ought not to be precious to us. We should labor to be familiar with every line that is written about Jesus. And in this passage, we have such a record, such a portrait, such a beautiful portrayal of who our Lord Jesus Christ is and his heart for the weakest of society, for who is weaker than the children and the babies of our day. Jesus blessing the little children. As we come to this passage, I'd like to ask you a question, and I'd like you to consider for your own life and your own heart. Have you considered that your view of children is a reflection of your understanding of the gospel? Have you ever considered that your attitude and your embrace and your love for children is a reflection of your spiritual maturity, that it's a reflection of your faith in Christ, it's a reflection of how well you know Christ, a reflection of how well you understand his heart and understand his character. Have you considered that your view of children is a reflection of your understanding of the gospel? There is a direct connection between how we view children and how well we understand the gospel. And that's the connection we're going to see in this text. Now let me just say at the outset that I say this as one who is not naturally a child-oriented personality. Those of you who know me, you know this about me. I'm not the kind of guy that children naturally light up when they see my face. I'm not the guy after break that children run to with delight. and I'm not the guy who um, can tell jokes. I don't have that gift of where they just love me, they, they look at me, and their eyes light up with excitement. Some of you have that gift, and I praise God for that. I, I just ha- don't happen to have that, that gift or that wiring. Um, some people say to me, Dan, you know, you, how can you not be a child-oriented person? You have four children. Um, how can you not like, uh, be wired to love children? And, and I always tell them, just because you have four children, I wish it just made me naturally into a child-oriented person, but I'm, I'm just not. And this is something that I want to encourage you with, that maybe uh, some of you, um, you might say, well, Dan, I'm just not wired to like children. I'm not wired to love children. Um, I, I'm not the guy who's uh, hitting the Elmo piñata at, at VBS. I'm not the guy in the bounce house. I'm, not, I'm just not wired that way. And I would say I'm not, I wasn't hitting the Elmo piñata, and I wasn't in the bounce house. I, I'm with you. I understand there's some of us that just our personalities are more wired to love children. Our, some of us, our personalities just aren't wired to, to be that way. But what we're talking about this morning has nothing to do with our personality or our preferences or how we're wired. It, has, it really has everything to do with how well do we know Jesus and how well do we understand the gospel and how well do we understand the heart of Christ. Now, I want you to know that when I'm talking about children, that we're not just talking about children in our families, even though they are precious and beloved to us. 
And we're not just talking about children even in our extended families, our nieces and our nephews. And we're not even talking about just children in our church as as beloved and as precious as these children are. We're not just talking about our children. When we're talking about having a heart for children, we're talking about having a heart for children. Just children. Just all children. Um, Every child. uh, Children of the world. Children in society. Children um, who are of different demographics than we might have been raised in. Um, Children of different educational backgrounds. Children of different races. Children of uh, different circumstances. Children of different... Uh, uh, behavioral conditions, Uh, well-behaved children, um, children who are not well-behaved. We're just talking about children. We're not just talking about the children on our soccer team. We're talking about the children on the other team. We're talking about having a heart for children and just looking at the world and this category of people called children and babies, just having a heart for them because that was the heart of Christ for this world. And this passage would ask us, do we have a heart for children? Do we have an openness and an embrace and a welcoming of them into our hearts and into our lives and into our church? Not because we are naturally child-oriented personalities. Not because we are naturally um, just the kind of people that children gravitate towards. But because we love Christ. Because we understand the gospel. Because we understand the heart of Christ. Do we have a heart for children? George Mueller was a 19th century saint who was known for being a great man of prayer and was also known for his amazing, uh, the way that God used him in an amazing way to build orphanages in England. And they said of his ministry that he began his orphanage ministry with 50 cents in his pocket. And he prayed so fervently throughout his life that at the end of his life, Uh, God had used him to care for and to minister to over 10,000 orphans. And that ministry went on after his death and went on to to impact countless more uh, orphans and children for Christ. He would ask the question, well, why did he do that? Why did he have such a heart for children? Uh, Why did he have such a heart to minister to the neediest and the weakest of society? And was it because he's the kind of guy that he would have been in the bounce house? Or he's the kind of guy that he would have been hitting the piñata? That was his personality. He just was wired to love children. And the answer is that he may have been that type of personality. I don't know. But the real heart of it was that George Mueller understood the gospel. He understood the gospel. He gave this testimony. I am in myself a poor, worthy sinner, but I have been saved by the blood of Christ. My heart is at rest. I am satisfied with God. And all the things spring, as I have said before, from taking God at his word, believing what he says. You see, he believed the gospel. He rested in the gospel. He knew he was a sinner saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what that did in his heart is it changed and transformed his heart and produced this spiritual fruit, which was a heart and a love and an openness to minister to children. In our passage this morning, we want to learn that loving children is a fruit of understanding the gospel. Loving children is a fruit of understanding the gospel. And in this text, we're going to see three things that happened when children were brought to Jesus. First, we're going to see the disciples' attitude. Second, we're going to see the Savior's rebuke. And third, we're going to see 
the Savior's blessing. Let's begin with the disciples' attitude. Verse 13, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. So here's a picture. Let me paint it for you. Jesus and his disciples are in the midst of a busy ministry. uh, Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. He's doing many miracles. He's fulfilling prophecy in the Old Testament. He's um, doing very big, important things for the kingdom of God. Um, The near context is Matthew chapter 19, verse 3, where he engages in this intense theological uh, dialogue with the great leaders of the land, the Pharisees, and he unveils this beautiful um, explanation of marriage and divorce and how to understand the one flesh relationship and he masterfully uses the Old Testament and it's just all this wonderful big stuff going on in the world. And this is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. This is the one prophesied. This is the King of Israel. This is the one that Israel has waited for for generation. And now he's here and he's doing these awesome, wonderful, beautiful things. And the idea here is that there's big stuff going on. And the disciples knew that. Multitudes are coming and there's big stuff. I mean, this is bigger than the governor coming to town. This is bigger than a world summit. This is bigger than the president of the United States. Um, this is Jesus, the Messiah, and he's here and he's ministering. and He's doing all sorts of wonderful things. Big, big things going on. And in the midst of all these big, big things going on, here comes these little, little people, children. Um, How old were these children? Uh, Matthew uses the word paideia to describe these children, um, infant to toddler age. Uh, Luke uses the word brephos, which is a more specific word referring to infants. We're talking here about Pebble's ministry to the younger children's ministry. We're talking about zero to five years of age. The little people, big stuff going on, little people coming and interrupting everything. Let me shepherd you through just a little bit in understanding this picture. Some of you may have seen this scene pictured in different uh, photographs, and in this picture they show Jesus, and everything is perfectly calm and serene, and here comes these angelic-looking children, and they have their hairs perfectly combed, and they're like radiant, and they're smiling, and they're like, we're coming to Jesus, and everything. Oh, that looks so beautiful. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but my guess would be that's not quite what it looked like. This passage doesn't say anything about well-behaved children. It doesn't say anything about disciplined children. It doesn't say anything about moral children. It just says there were children, babies and children. If I know children and babies, I know one thing. They don't look like angelic little creatures unless it's that one second that you take the picture (laughs) after taking 99 other pictures where they're crying and everything. You get that one picture where they're smiling. And it must have been a commotion. It must have been they come in and they're crying. The equivalent would be we, we ask this great theological speaker to come to our church and to speak, and he has like three doctorates, and he comes and he's just ministering to us this wonderful, wonderful, uh, deep theology is rich, and it's, wow, we're just being blown away as his understanding of the Word of God, and then somebody lets all the children in and into this room, and they just do what children do. They just start roller skating around and, and uh, you know, throwing balls, and we're like, get... Get these kids out of here. Can't you see there's important stuff? Can't you see what we're doing? We're doing important spiritual stuff here. You can't bother us now. You can't interrupt us. 
Get him out. Who let him in? And this is how the disciples must have felt. They must have felt all this big stuff going on. And here comes all this, these little people. And they're crying, making a mess. And they're acting like children and making a fuss. And get them out. We can't be bothered by children when there's so much big stuff going on here. This is adult stuff. This is mature stuff. This is stuff for people who can understand things. Get the children out of here. And the text says that the disciples rebuked them. They rebuked them. What was the disciples' attitude? Their attitude was, big stuff cannot be interrupted by little people. We don't have time for little people. We don't have time for the weakest of society. We need to guard Jesus' schedule. We need to guard his time. We need to guard his environment so he's not bothered by all these little ones. And so the disciples rebuke them. Now before we get too hard on the disciples, let's just make this observation that those of us who um, have grown out of childhood, that we do have a bent to see Christian ministry in an adult-centered manner. We do have a bent to want to make the church about adults. And it takes effort for us to get wired to think to the level of children. I can remember one retreat I went to, and um, the retreat they started, and they started the worship service by bringing up all the children to the front and singing children's songs for the worship service. And the pastor's up there, and he's making faces for the children. He's making them laugh. And the children are being children. You know, they weren't being like, you know, all these you know, really well-behaved uh, children. They're just being children. They're not really listening. They're kind of making a lot of noise. And they're doing those songs like, you know, making melody and, you know, thumbs up and elbows out. And they're, they're just doing everything. And my first reaction was, wait a second. That's, you can't do that. Worship's serious. Worship's important. You can't, like... You can't just like, um, this has to be a serious time. You can't just minister to children. And afterwards, I was reflecting and looking at this passage and just feeling like maybe that church understood and that pastor understood the heart of Jesus more than I did. Because Jesus didn't see the children as interruptions to his busy schedule. He didn't see them as a bother. He didn't see them as um, a nuisance. He wanted them to come. But the disciples didn't understand that, and so he, they rebuked him. I was reflecting in my own life how easy it is for me to get into just an adult-centered world where everything is adult-centered. Uh, adult, uh, and um, you know, There'll be times my kids, and they're all into the bionicles, right? And they're all talking. It's like a foreign language, like, like the Toa Nauas and the Forzakas and the the Hortuas, they're all fighting and doing all these things, and they'll tell me about the Bionicles, and they'll, they'll talk to me, and there's, you know, Daddy, today the, the Toas fought the Matuans, and the Matuans, and I'm like, I'm starting, my eyes are starting to glaze over. I don't understand what you're talking about. And I remember one time I was talking to my wife and just saying, like, like a little bit complaining voice, like, they talk to me for, like, they can talk for hours about these Toas, and, and they talk about it like it's the most important thing in the world. And she said to me, Dan, it's because to them it is the most important thing in the world. 
But it's so hard for me as an adult to think down, to understand a child level. So I live my whole life in this adult-centered world where everything is about um, what adults think and how adults talk, and it takes effort for us to think to the level of children. When I first had children, I, um, I had this overly idealistic view of having children. I thought, man, we're going to be like the Puritans. You know, we're going to like, they're not going to learn these Bob and Larry songs. They're not going to learn these like silly songs. They're going to learn like hymns. We're just going to sing hymns <laughs> all the time. Like we're going to sing deep theological songs and they're going to be like, you know, these Puritan kids and just understand deep theology and and I got to the point where, you know, we'd have family devotions. I'd be like, all right, kids, let's sing. You know, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And, you know, they'd be like, you know, dad, dad. Like, they'd, I mean, they'd be like, they didn't understand what we're singing about. I'd be like, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And they'd be like, daddy, what's a bulwark? Like, you don't need to know what a bulwark is. Just sing the song. Just, you know, you got to be godly. And I remember going to Pastor James' house and having seen him do family devotion. It was awesome. I mean, I mean, they were singing, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. And Pastor James and Serena were doing the hand motions. And the kids were like loving it. And I remember Pastor James was telling me, Dan, when you minister to children, you have to minister to children. You can't have things be so high they don't understand what's going on. You have to put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that the kitties can get to them. But it's hard for us. We're, we, it's hard for us to think to the level of children because like the disciples, we're in this adult world and we have big, important stuff going on. And man, we just don't have time. We got things to do and plans to accomplish and we don't have time to stop and sing Making Melody and to learn these silly hand motions so that the kids would feel welcomed into the presence of Jesus. The disciples were so wrapped up in their big, important adult world, they had no sympathy for the little people of society. And so how does Jesus respond to these disciples? We see, first of all, the disciples' attitude. Secondly, we see the Savior's rebuke. The Savior's rebuke, verse 14. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Matthew doesn't say it here, but Mark does. Mark is very graphic and emphatic about it. Mark says that when Jesus saw what the disciples were doing, he was indignant. He was indignant. And that word in the Greek is a compound word that means to be very grieved, to be very upset to be afflicted in the soul. And we say, wait a second. It's not like they were committing immorality. It wasn't like they were lying. It wasn't that they were stealing. They're just mistreating children. I mean, in, in our church, we would probably get really upset if, if a believer committed immorality. We'd get really upset if a believer was stealing. But if a believer was kind of mean to a kid, we'd probably be like, ah, you know, that kid, he's, he's a rascal anyway. He deserves it. And not a big deal, right? But Jesus... He got very upset at the disciples. To him, this was a big deal. In fact, this is the only time in the New Testament records that we find that Jesus, that this word is used, very afflicted in his heart toward the disciples. 
In Mark 3, 5, it says that Jesus was grieved at the Pharisees' hard heart. In Matthew 26, it says Jesus was deeply grieved to the point of death, but this is the one time that Jesus was deeply grieved by the conduct of his disciples. What's the big deal? It's just children. Not to Jesus, it wasn't. To Jesus, it was a much bigger deal than we might think. He was indignant. He was grieved. He was upset. He was afflicted in his heart. And why, you say, was he so afflicted in his heart? Because this attitude the disciples had toward these children ran counter to the deepest affections of who Jesus was. Who was Jesus Christ? He was the God become man. He was the God who humbled himself to walk among us, and his heart was to minister to the weakest of society. His heart was to minister to those who couldn't help themselves. His heart was to reach out to those who were lame and who could not speak, and those who were afflicted and demon-possessed. And his heart was to reach out and to touch them and to heal them. And his heart was for the weak. And who is weaker in society than a child and an infant. And so Jesus had a special place in his heart for these children. He had a special place in his heart for these babies. And when he saw the disciples running so counter to that, when he saw their adult pride come out, he was grieved. And he rebuked them. And the wording here is very strong. He says, let the little children come to me. It's an aorist tense. He says, stop what you're doing right now. You're turning them away. Stop it. And then he uses a present tense. Do not hinder them. Stop what you're doing right now, and from now on, as a continual way of life, don't ever hinder a child from coming into my presence again. The intensity of this expression is surprising. The intensity of Jesus' emotion is surprising. The intensity of his language is gets our attention. Because what Jesus was saying to the disciples is what he's saying to us this morning. You may see children as a non-priority item, but I don't. You may see them as a hindrance, but I don't. You may see them as an interruption, but I don't. You may see a hassle. You may see a mess. You may see people who don't have their acts together, but what I see our souls. I see people. I see the weak of society and my heart is to reach out and to welcome them in love. Jesus is saying to us this morning, you want to understand my heart? My heart is to welcome children. And make no mistake about it, it's not just well-behaved children. It's not just disciplined children. It's not moral children. It's not children who are well-dressed and educated. It's just children, all children. My heart is to welcome them. 
My heart is to welcome even unregenerate, unsaved children and babies. And get this, my heart is to welcome them even if their parents are coming with wrong motives. Because these parents in this picture, they probably weren't having the right motives in bringing their children to Jesus. They probably just wanted to attach their children to some famous person or get caught up in the hoopla. They probably weren't coming for true salvation. They were just bringing their children. But Jesus says, you know what? Even if the parents have wrong motives, I want them here. I want to welcome them. And he rebuked the disciples. Now, a couple brief clarifications might be helpful. Some of you may be wondering, Dan, I've heard you and the elders talk about how we don't want to become a child-centered church. How does this teaching harmonize with being a child-centered culture where everything revolves around children? And that's a very, very um, legitimate question. A couple clarifications. Number one is a Christ-centered church loves children because they love Jesus. I know this is simple, but it needs to be said. It's a simple distinction, but it makes all the difference in the world. A Christ-centered church loves children because they love Jesus. In other words, they're excited about Jesus. And because they're excited about Jesus, they have a heart for children. The mark of a child-centered culture is when the culture is more excited about children than they are about Jesus. And Jesus kind of fades into the recesses of the culture and the children take the preeminence. And by no means are we saying that. We're saying we want to love Jesus. We want to understand the gospel. We want the heart of Christ to become our heart. And therefore, like George Mueller, we open our hearts up to the children of this world. A second clarification is that a child-centered culture loves its own children, but a Christ-centered culture loves all children. A child-centered culture loves our children, our relation, children of our church, children of a certain type, certain of a certain behavior, where a Christ-centered culture just loves all children without discrimination because that is the heart of Christ. When you see a culture begin to love and cherish just our children, but that love stops at the border of our relation or our acquaintance and doesn't extend to children of all types, that is a mark of a child-centered church, not a Christ-centered church. A Christ-centered church loves all children. One of the neatest couples I've had the privilege of fellowshipping with was an older couple, and I won't say their names because they wouldn't want the attention. But they had come to a point in their lives where their own children had grown and they had left the home, and they had taken on the vision of using their older years to minister to foster children who were in need. And one of the things I will never remember forget is how um, this dear older sister in Christ bringing to church a tiny little baby girl who was uh, born to a mother with a drug dependency. And she showed me how this baby, she said, um, physically because of her development, she has no sucking reflex and she can't feed normally. And I was just amazed in watching how this dear brother and sister in Christ 
was, were ministering to this baby and helping this baby and just week after week tending to this baby. And then in a couple months, the baby was gone and they had a new foster child in their home. And that was their ministry. That was their life. And I've seen this heart reflected in couples even here at our church. I've seen this heart for not just, it's not just about our children. It's about children in general. It's about children and society. It's about just opening our hearts to children everywhere. And when I see this heart, I see the heart of Christ. I see Christ living in them. I see Christ producing his fruit in them. I see the gospel working in their lives because that is the heart of Christ, is to love children, all children. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. And John Piper has summed up the teaching of this text in saying that disciples of Christ should remove all hindrances that keep children from coming to Jesus. Let me just talk real practically for a moment. Three practical ways that we can hinder children from coming to Jesus as a church. Number one, we can hinder uh, children from coming to Jesus by a lack of investment. Uh, we could just see them as they're just not a priority. They're just not, they're not in, an important part of our church. They're a part of our church, but they're out of sight, out of mind. They're not a real priority. We don't need to intentionally invest our time, resources, and even our finances in the ministry of children. Um, one of the things that has grieved me through the years is when um, um, I'm able to review church budgets and I see that there's so much emphasis on lavishly investing in the adult ministries of the church and there is this stingy, miserly attitude towards the investing in children and infants. And this is why our VBS this last week was so encouraging and why it was so helpful because it showed the heart of our church that we want to invest in these children. We want to invest our time, our effort, our energy, and yes, even our finances to providing these um, resources to them and welcoming them with the heart of Jesus into his presence because Jesus said, don't hinder them. And we can hinder them just by not just by neglecting them, just not seeing them as a priority, just by not investing time, energy, and finances into our children. One of the things I've learned as a father is that the world is very intentional about trying to invest in my child. And the world is very intentional about trying to get my children's attention by investing financially in them. What we would ask is, is the church as intentional? Not that we can compete with the financial resources of the world, but do we see their hearts and their minds as a priority that we need to invest and so faithfully so that one day we might see fruit from their lives? Um, secondly, just real practically, we can hinder children by, from coming to Jesus by just a lack of physical space. A lack of physical space. It's just a practical fact of church life. If you're going to minister to children, you need a place to put them. You need rooms to put their bodies. You need restrooms that they can go to. You need places that you can change diapers. You need safe areas that they can play and roam and not be afraid of things falling upon them. You need uh, physical space. You need a place where they can release their energy in a safe and a productive way. You just need places. 
And if a church has a growing children's ministry, but the space is cramped, unsafe, unsanitary, or hazardous, it's a real practical way that we can hinder children from coming to Jesus. Um, it's interesting when families come, we had the opportunity to visit a, a Another church, we like to do church visitation every once in a while just to get a fresh perspective on church. And as a family, you're bringing children and you're just, you have a lot of questions that, that probably um, um, you're wondering, are they going to be taken care of? And they're just really silly things. They're just things like, are my kids going to know where to go to the bathroom? Or, or is, it, is the um, diaper changing facility going to be clean? Or is, there, is it going to be unsanitary? It's just real. And I remember... Um, this church had thought through that so well, and they really encouraged us in how they showed the parents, this is where your children are going to use the restroom, and see, it's clean, and this is where the diapers, and this is how we're going to contact you if there's problems. Just physical space, having the practical means to welcome children, can be a means of bringing children into Christ's presence. And a lack of physical space can be a hindrance. You know, this is why uh, your participation in the Laying the Foundation campaign has been so tremendous and so encouraging. Because we have reached the point as a church where we have reached this point, we're at the breaking point where if this issue of physical space and just physical location and rooms, if this isn't something that we are able to uh, grow in, that it will become a hindrance for bringing little ones to Jesus Christ. And so by participating in this campaign, uh, you are not only ministering to the entire church, but you are also reflecting the heart of Christ in helping to welcome children into Christ's presence. Number three, real practically, we can hinder children from coming to Jesus by teaching them good morals, not good news. We can hinder children from coming to Jesus by teaching them good morals, not good news. Um, Just share my heart with you this morning. Uh, after reviewing many children's curriculums and many approaches to teaching children, I have found uh, that this is something that we as a church really need to think through because much of uh, the material that's being produced for children in the church today is attempting to teach children good morals, not good news. It is the be something theology, be good, be obedient, be better, be a hard worker. And it's good advice, but it's not good news. Um, how, how would we teach a child the Ten Commandments? Would we teach them, you see, the Ten Commandments teach you how to be a good little boy. You shouldn't steal. You shouldn't lie. You should honor your parents. Or do we teach them good news? The truth is that all of us have broken all of these commandments. But there's one person who came and he kept all the commandments. And he died in our place and he rose from the dead. You see, that's good news. That's not good advice. Do we teach the stories of the kings as good advice or good news? See, here was a good king and here was a bad king. Here was a good king and here was a bad king. Be a good king. Be good, not bad. And God will bless you. Or do we teach good news? You see all these kings, even though there were some good kings, they were pretty much, there was no perfect king, but there was a perfect king. He came. His name was Jesus. And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And if you believe in him, you can be saved. You see, that's good news. It's not good advice. Do we teach the story of David and Goliath to children as good advice or good news? See, good advice is, see, David, he was strong. He was brave. He wasn't cowardly. Be like David. 
Be strong, be brave, don't be cowardly, and God will bless you. Or do we teach good news? You see David, how he conquered Goliath? That's a great story, but you know what? There came, there came a greater David. There came a son of David, and his name was Jesus. And he didn't just defeat a human enemy. He defeated the greatest enemy of all. He defeated sin and death and hell when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's good news. It's not just good advice. You see, many of us, we are teaching children good advice, good morals, but we are not teaching them good news. And this hinders them from coming to Jesus because what is the greatest barrier in any man's heart from coming to Jesus? It is his own self-righteousness, his own sense of morality, is his own sense of I am good, I have kept commandments. And so if we feed our children's hearts with morality and good, good advice and good morals, we keep them from coming to Jesus because it just feeds their heart with self-righteous pride. And so we need to be intent about teaching our children good news, not just good advice. It's not about how you can be a better child, how you can be a better person. It is about what Christ, the greatest King of all, the Savior of the world, what He has done to forgive all your sins and to bring you into the presence of God. Well, we can talk on and on about hindrances to bringing children to Jesus. But I want to get to the third point. We saw the disciples' attitude so caught up in big things they couldn't have time for little people. We saw the Savior's rebuke. Don't hinder them from coming into my presence. They are welcome, even if their parents come with inadequate motives. And thirdly, we see the Savior's blessing. Verse 14. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. The question would be, and you might be asking this, the question would be why? Why should we love children in this way? Why should we love children when children are weak? Why should we love children when children make messes? Why should we love children when they can't contribute anything to the church? Why should we love children when they're immature and they make foolish decisions? Why should we love children when they disobey? Why should we love children when they throw temper tantrums? Why should we love children when all they do is take, 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 and they don't give anything? Why should we love children in this way? And Jesus gives us the reason in verse 14. He says, For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. I love the teachings of Jesus. You know why? Because he has a way of turning the tables on us. He has a way of flipping things on us. And that's what he does in this passage. He looks at us adults and he says, You're looking at children and you're saying, Why can't the child be more like me? Why can't the immature be more mature like me? Why can't the weak be strong like me? Why can't this person who makes messes be more like me where I have a cleaned up life? Why can't the child become more like the adult? And if the child becomes more like the adult, then they can come into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus flips it. And he says, don't you understand? It is not the child who needs to become more like the adult to come into my presence. It is the adult who needs to become more like the child. The truth is that adults, you need to become children. 
if you're going to become into the presence of Jesus. The truth is that whoever does not enter the kingdom of heaven as a child shall not enter it at all. The truth is, until you see yourself as helpless, until you see yourself as foolish, until you see yourself as completely dependent, until you see yourself as completely unable to give anything but can only receive everything, until you see yourself as a child, you can't even become a Christian. You can't even be saved. Because the essence of what it means to become a Christian is that you are stripped of all your sufficiency. You're stripped of all your righteousness. You're stripped of all your abilities and you say, Jesus, nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. I come as a child. I come helpless, needy, dependent, unable to give anything, only to receive everything. And I come to you as a child and what Jesus does When you come in this way, he says, I died for your sins. I rose in your place. And I will accept you and receive you. And I will love you. And that's the gospel. Why did this grieve Jesus' heart so much? Because he saw in the disciples this adult, self-righteous pride that came out where they were saying to the children, you need to become like us. And Jesus says, no, you need to become like them. To such belongs the the kingdom of heaven. And the parallel passages in Mark 10 and Luke 18 emphasize this. Mark 10, 15 says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Why should we love children? Why should we welcome children? Why should we have a heart for children, not just our own children, but the children of the world? Because brothers and sisters, simply because of this, when you see a child, and especially when you see a misbehaving child, do you see yourself? Do you see, that's who I am before God. And I'm not a well-behaved child. I'm a misbehaving child. I am a sinner. And I, all I do is make the messes and God cleans up after me. But the truth is that my Father loves me purely because of His grace and purely because of what Christ has done. I said at the beginning of this message that your attitude toward children reveals how well you understand the gospel. And it really does. If you understand the gospel, you understand that we are all children. And we are the ones who somebody brought to Jesus and Jesus didn't turn us away and he didn't rebuke us. He welcomed us and he blessed us. And so this passage ends with a blessing. Verse 15, he laid his hands on them and went away 
Mark uses the intensive word, katalulogeo. He blessed them fervently. He blessed them repeatedly. He wasn't lukewarm. This is the one time in the New Testament where we see Jesus blessing unregenerate people. It wasn't that they were not sinful. And it wasn't that they were in some kind of special category. The text says nothing about that they were baptized or they were confirmed or they were part of any covenant. It just says they were children. But he, he fervently blessed them. And I believe that in blessing them, he also showed a picture because of the context of this is how he receives not only physical children, but spiritual children. We come into Christ's presence, and he welcomes us, and he blesses us. Let the little children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ died on a cross to save children like us, and to bring us into his presence. Aren't you glad? Let's bow in prayer together. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Father, we do come to you as children, as those who cannot give anything to you except our failures and our sins and our rebellion. We thank you that you accept us on the basis of Christ. May this glorious truth transform our hearts, and may the fruit of it be a love for the children, not just in our church or in our families, but the children of this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.